Well, good morning once again to you. Thanks for being with us today. I hope it's a blessing to your soul. It has been to mine already. Thank you for the worship, Dan. Uh, Today we continue our series called Our Family. We have two more weeks in this series. We're going to have this week, this Sunday, and then next Sunday we'll complete our series, Memorial Day, and we'll start something new for the summer. But um, today we're going to continue our series called Our Family by looking at a passage from 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is one of my favorite chapters in the entire scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 6 to 15 today. We're going to call our lesson today, Controlling Love. Controlling Love. Before we get to the text here, did you ever do something you probably shouldn't do as an adult? Right? That's a really awkward question. Think about it. Did you ever do something you probably shouldn't do as an adult? I'm going to give you my top 10 things that, a sh- that adults should not be doing anymore. See if you do any of these. Number 10 is making forts with cushions and blankets. Anyone? Anyone want to confess that? Now, my children love to do this. My children love making forts. Probably all children do. And sometimes I will get involved in the making fort process and even going in the fort with them. But if my wife came down and saw me in a cushioned fort without the kids... Hanging out. That would be weird. And she'd probably have a talk with me. Uh, number 10 thing is, not, is making forts. That's reserved for children. Where's Daddy? We haven't seen Daddy in a long time. He's probably in his fort. Number nine is wearing pajamas in public. Now, we have a very relaxed society. Has anybody noticed that? Very relaxed. You watch movies from like 30, 40, 50 years ago. Everybody's dressed up in hats, got ties on. Everybody looks fantastic. I go to the store. It's a very different picture. There's Walmart. Walmart is the king. The king of going relaxed. Come as you are. Roll out of bed and go. Come on, adults. Can we at least put some jeans on or something like this? Something, maybe something that fits us would be great, too. Um, wearing pajamas in public is probably not a good idea if you're an adult. Not judging anybody. Uh, Number eight is, here's a weird one, sucking our thumb. Sucking our thumb. Does anybody suck your thumb anymore? No, of course, that's reserved for children. If I saw anybody above the age of five sucking their thumb, I would probably raise an eyebrow at that because that's something little kids do. In fact, that's nasty to think about. I bite my nails. That's gross enough. Sucking your thumb, nobody should be doing that after 2020. Here's number seven thing adults should not be doing is crying when we get a boo-boo. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but during the worship, one of my sons took a spill. And uh, he started to cry because that's what kids do. Now, unless you get a really bad boo-boo, there's an age where you stop crying when you get boo-boos, right? I don't know what age that is, but it, it, it stops being appropriate to cry when you get hurt anymore. Now you just throw something and punch a wall or something like that. But crying when you get a boo-boo typically is reserved for children. When is it no longer appropriate to use the term boo-boo? Um, I'm not there yet. I'll let you know that one. See, I have seven kids, so my vocabulary comes from them. I could say owie. Is owie better? That sounds more mature. Crying when we get an owie. Here's number six things adults should not do is squealing when the ice cream, ice cream truck comes down your road. Now, does that happen anymore? Does ice cream trucks come down roads anymore? Yeah, yeah. Any adults squeal when that happens? Like Janine really loves ice cream, but if she squealed, that would be even taking it to another level. Uh, I used to love when the ice cream truck came down the road, though. Here's number five. Dan and I have talked about this one. 
and I confess this one, I do this. Ordering chicken tenders at a steakhouse. Anybody? <laughs> Anybody ordering chicken tenders at a steakhouse? No, I do this. I do this. I like chicken tenders. I'm not ashamed of it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of steak. Anybody else not a huge fan of steak? Uh, here's the reason I don't love steak. I like my meat well done. All my meat, I want it well done. When you well done steak, eh, right? It's not fantastic. So sometimes I will order chicken tenders, and my wife looks at me like, do you want a bib? Do you want a coloring thing? <laughs> Something to color on? No, I just want chicken tenders. Here's number four thing adults shouldn't do anymore is play acting like superheroes and princesses. Probably not, right? Probably not anymore. If you're doing it with your children, that's different. I can get away with that. I can justify that. But doing that on my own would be, would be weird. Here's number three, which, again, this probably happens a lot. But dressing up for Halloween? Adults? Who dresses up for Halloween as an adult? Someone confessed. Beth, have you dressed up for Halloween? Yeah? Okay. Let me say this. If you, what's that? Typical? Weekly? Okay, all right. Boy, we're going to know a lot about This is the deepest fellowship we've had in a long time. This is why I did this. Some really deep fellowship is coming out. Awkward fellowship. Yeah, some transparent fellowship. But if you need to dress up in order to get candy from strangers, just go buy the candy. You're an adult. You're a grown-up. Here's number two. Uh, adults sh should not be doing anymore. Is scared of monsters in the closet. Now, we are scared of our own things, right? Most of them, we have to, like, Google our symptoms and find out if we're going to die. But if you're still scared of monsters in your closet, like if I nudge Janine in the night and said, Janine, there's a monster in the closet. Go, go get it. Right? That wouldn't be good. Because I'm the man of the house. There shouldn't be monsters in the closet, and I should know that. And if there are, I should take care of them. Here's number one adults shouldn't do anymore is eating spaghetti with your hands. Yeah, that's always a really messy thing. My children love doing that. They love spaghetti, but it ends up all over them. What if one week we had spaghetti for our lunch and you looked back and Pastor Todd had it all over his face, playing around in it? That wouldn't be good, right? Because that's what children do. The top 10 things that adults shouldn't do anymore. Well, we have one more that's going to transition us to our lesson. And this is definitely one adults, especially Christian, Christian adults, should not do anymore. That is living our life for ourselves. If you have your Bibles, join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 6 to 15 today. Listen to the word of God. Paul speaking, he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. 
And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The word of God. Today we're calling it Controlling Love. It's our sixth sixth sermon series, or sixth sermon in this series called Our Family. And we've studied and focused on many different things that have all focused our attention on commitment to the church. And that, once again, is our indirect goal today, is to find how important the church is for our success in this Christian life. But we're going to take a different approach today. We're going to focus directly upon the one who is the head of the church, the one who invented our church, the one who stamped the importance of the church, the importance of the church, and the one who died to give the church victory over evil. That, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Without Jesus, I will say this, the church is pointless. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we have with the church if there is no Jesus Christ. Because without the head, what good is the body? Right? We are the body of Christ. He is the head. Without the head, the body is pointless and useless. The church is meaningless without Jesus. But with Jesus, the church is the most important thing in our lives. Because it's our connection to the head. The body's connection to the head is the church. And Jesus is the head. He is the head of everything that matters. And we've learned a lot of important truths from the pen of the Apostle Paul. His life was a true testament and example of the power and significance of what the church can accomplish when done properly. Today, Paul wants to say something to us quite simple, that love should control our lives. Love is a powerful motivator, isn't it? It's a powerful motivator. People actually die in the name of love for something or someone. They would die sometimes in the name of love. In fact, our Savior did this very thing, didn't he? He died in the name of love. Love was the chief force behind the sacrifice of Jesus. He gave up his life. He gave up his desires to love his Father and to love his people. It was love alone that put Jesus on the cross And it was love alone that kept Jesus on the cross. That kind of love is not typical. You can't find this love anywhere. It's powerful and it's profound. And that's the love we focus upon today. This is the type of love we want to explore. Because Paul had this type of love in his life. And you know what it did? This love caused Paul to act like an incredibly unique individual. Quite simply, Paul was strange. He was weird. He did not act like the typical person. He was zealous, passionate, and sold out to a person that he had likely never met in the flesh. And he surrendered his entire life to this person so that this person might receive love. Is that odd? Is that odd to give yourself entirely to a person you've never met in the flesh? The world would say that's strange. That's very odd. I don't get it. And Paul is going to describe to us some of his weird tendencies, and he's going to tell us what made him act this way. His hope is that we too will once again gain the perspective that we should be controlled by the very same love that Paul was. We too will begin living and acting the same way Paul did to love the very same person that Paul loved. I have another question for you. Did you ever act silly or foolish in the name of love? Did you ever act out of character in order to please someone that you were dating or wanted to marry? Think back. 
I think I told you in 2008 to 2009 when I was dating and engaged to Janine, I did some things that were out of character for me to do. Let me give you a little bit of a list, okay? Things that I did about 12 years ago that are typically out of character for me. Number one, I went to an amusement park. If you know me at all and get to know me at all, I hate amusement parks. I don't like lines, crowds, heat, or nausea. And you get them all at amusement parks. No, thank you. There are some good things about them. But I, I don't like amusement parks generally. I will go for other people, but not generally for myself. But I went for Janine. Her friends were going, and I went to an amusement park, and it was, man, it was like 109 degrees that day. It was horrible. Uh, I also hung out with her friends. Now, if you know Janine, Janine is eight years younger than I am. I was 28 when I moved to Michigan. So her friends were all pretty immature. And I wouldn't even use the word obnoxious. <laughs> she would attest to that, too. But I hung out with those people because they were Janine's friends. I also went to her house and watched her family's type of movies, which I considered very, very lame movies. They were not good movies. And I love her. her I love my parents, my, her in-laws, my in-laws. But uh, their movie choice is not the same as mine. I also, this Janine should be out here for this one, because this one's only going to make sense to Janine. You guys are going to go, what? I ate a creamless cream puff without demanding cream for it. And you guys are looking at me like I'm an idiot. But I went over to her house, and they gave us cream puffs for dessert. And I didn't have any cream in mine. And I said to Janine, I don't have any cream for my cream puff. And she says, none of us do. I was like, what? I go, how could you not have cream in a cream puff? And she goes, we don't eat them that way. I was like, where am I? Watching a lame movie, eating a creamless cream puff. I was in love, guys. Um, I also spent time with her extended family, which would be my extended in-laws. You think in-laws are something. Try extended in-laws. You know, there's some circus for you. Just teasing. Uh, I also spent an entire day shopping for an engagement ring. If you know anything about me as well, I hate shopping. Online shopping was made for Pastor Todd. I don't like trying clothes on. I don't like going to stores. I don't like searching through the racks. I don't like anything like that. But I spent an entire day poring over this decision over what ring to get my wife. I adopted a cat. I adopted a cat, and uh, I have nothing wrong. I have nothing, no issue with cats at all, but I'm not typically a pet person. But I adopted a cat because Janine wanted a cat, and then I let her name the cat Duke. <laughs> because she liked Duke University, and I was a Michigan Wolverine fan. And I let her name the cat that I adopted for six months before we were married. What was going on back then? Uh, I also went to a wedding I didn't have to go to. If you know anything about men, men do not like weddings, okay? And if they're telling you they do, they're lying because they love you. We don't like weddings. But I went to a wedding for Janine's sake. It's one of her friends. And the last one, is I always typically acted like a gentleman. And if you guys know me at all, I am not a gentleman at all. Well, you guys aren't even laughing. You're like, yeah, they're right on. Amen. <laughs> Definitely not. There's a little bit of a list. I did things. You guys get the point, okay? I was in love. I was in love. And as Paul is going to echo, I don't tell you these things to boast in myself. I tell you these things to boast in the one that I love because she was worth it. And I would do it again. I would do even more for Janine's hand in marriage. And although I don't do that list anymore, I do other things for my wife and for my children because I love them. I still consider my wife a treasure. I still cherish her. This was Paul's heart towards Jesus. That was his heart towards Jesus. Paul acted like a very unique and strange individual because he was in love. 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we get to the controlling love of Christ, I want you to notice a couple important details leading up to this, okay? Let's read this passage again, verses 6 to 10, and listen to the language. Paul says, We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now we've called our series Our Family because we believe, firmly believe the church is so important to the Lord. In fact, the church is so important to the Lord that you can see it laced through passages of Scripture that you're very familiar with that you never noticed before. It's like a glorified game of Where's Waldo? Anyone ever? Where's Waldo? We're doing a lot of kid things today. Where's Waldo? In fact, before we go on, try to find Waldo. Anyone find him there? Look real close. Is Waldo in that picture? He is in that picture. You guys remember these? Where's Waldo? Find Waldo in the picture? All right, someone try to find him real quick. I'll wait. Someone play Jeopardy. There you go. Anyone? Get close. I know it's hard to see from your chair. Anyone? Okay. He's right in the center. You see, if I had a laser pointer, I'd point you, but I I don't think there is one. There is one? Where is it? Oh, my word. Okay. Okay, it disappears on the screen, so that does nothing. Okay. He's right in the middle. Just trust me. You can come look later if you want to really find him. But there's Waldo, okay? You guys remember the Where's Waldo? I want you to look at this passage we just looked at, and I want you to see if you can find the church. Look close. Where's Waldo? What word is mentioned here a lot? Do you notice it? Boom. Wee-wee. Wee-wee. That's right, wee-wee. Look at it. <laughs> we, the word we is mentioned ten times in five verses. Now, I didn't notice that at first. I didn't notice Waldo at first. I skipped right over it. But then I, I sat with this passage, and it just jumped out at me. Look at, there it is again. Ten times in five verses. Do you think that's an accident? Unlikely, right? Now, sometimes if you're like me, you're tempted to think that Paul was like a Lone Ranger Christian, okay? I used to think that Paul was kind of like the Christian version of Rambo, right? Just out there kicking spiritual hiney and taking names. That's what Paul was doing, right? (laughs) Thank you for laughing, Tammy. Why do we think this way about Paul? Why do we think that way about Paul? Maybe because his devotion and his zeal for the Lord seems so far ahead of everybody else. Maybe because he wrote a quarter of the New Testament. Did you know that? Paul wrote a quarter of the New Testament. Maybe because he was in prison writing most of his letters, and he always seemed so alone. But in all reality, you could make the case that no one loved the church, and no one thought as highly of the church and the importance of the church than Paul did. Consider, Paul Paul wrote all of his letters to various churches, All of his letters are written to churches to encourage and to strengthen the church. He also founded several churches and raised and trained up elders to lead those churches. And the singular reason Paul wrote 2 Corinthians is because of his commitment to building the church by sharing the gospel. And that commitment kept him away from the church sometimes. So because he was away, he wrote letters to the church to encourage and strengthen them from a distance. Paul loved the church. He loved it. 
He was all in for building up the church of Jesus Christ. And in these five verses, we see that Paul uses the word we ten times so we can understand that the strategy for following Jesus Christ is a team strategy. It's a team strategy. Notice again, we are of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I want you to notice that this controlling love we're about to speak about is a team strategy. It's a group project. Okay, We do this together. We need our family if we're going to love the Lord the way that he demands and the way that he deserves. Paul did not love the Lord alone. He loved Jesus through the church, through the strength, the unity, and the fellowship that the church provides. And I believe if we could interview Paul today and ask him one question, Paul, how did you do it? How did you do it, Paul? How did you live the way that you lived? I believe he would say this, by the grace of God and through the church. We don't need to get cute in Christianity, okay? If we come together, we win. And if we remain isolated, separated, alone, and distant from the church, we're guaranteed to lose. Wyoming Valley Church, we're a family. We are a family. We've been stressing this. We are one branch of this massive, soon-to-be-glorified family, but we are a family. And I hope it's a privilege to be in the family of God and to represent him in Wyoming Valley, Pennsylvania. Is it a privilege? This area needs to see Jesus, don't they? And we are his ambassadors. And this is our duty and this is our privilege to be his ambassadors in this area. Now let's move on to the main thrust of our passage today. Controlling love. Listen to the next part of the passage, the part we will focus the rest of our time upon. Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul reminds the Corinthians of a few important matters, three important matters. Okay, Number one is we will all stand before the Lord one day and be judged. He brings that up twice. We will stand before the Lord one day and he will judge our lives. And Paul did not shy away from using the coming event of Judgment Day to motivate the church. He said, therefore, knowing the fear, or the word can actually be translated into terror. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade others. Think about that. Paul is reminding us that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's a good thing. The fear of the Lord is a gift from heaven because it's one of the very best reasons people come to Christ for cleansing. You know that, right? That is why many people come to Jesus Christ for cleansing, because they're guilty before a holy God. And if they stand guilty on judgment day, he will condemn them. 
That's one of the main reasons people come to Jesus for cleansing, because they don't want to stand condemned forever. It's also one of the best reasons people prepare themselves for Judgment Day, because of who they're going to stand before. Once again, a holy God. Fear is also one of the very best tools for fighting against sin. Those who truly fear the Lord cannot and will not continue in sin because God hates it. The fear of the Lord is a gift, and Paul recognized that, and he said, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's number one. Number two, Paul speaks about who he really is versus what is perceived about Paul. First, he says about himself and his peers that the Lord knows who they truly are in their heart of hearts, but that he also hopes the Corinthians by now know that Paul is genuine in his care and his love for the Lord and for his church. And I would say that about your leaders and your pastors also. I hope you know this by now. The Lord knows who we are in our heart of hearts, but I hope you know us to be genuine, not perfect, but genuine men of God who care about the Lord, who care about the kingdom, and who care about the church of Jesus. And Paul says that this knowledge that they have is not about commending himself to them as if they needed to think highly of them, or you need to think highly of your pastors. That's not the point. We hope that you can use your pastor's example as genuine example to answer to those in your life who don't believe and say that the Lord, is, the Lord isn't real or the Lord isn't worth living for. You can use the examples of godly leaders as a defense to people who are more concerned about living for the pleasures of this world. You can say to people who are unbelievers, I happen to know some people who are sold out for this Jesus. They're sold out for Jesus. And these people are not madmen. They are some of the sanest people I know. They love Jesus more than they love anything. And their testimony of the Lord is way too powerful to ignore. Honestly, Pastor Mel and Pastor Todd should be examples in your life of people that you can use as a defense for your own life and your soul, for, for, for the life and soul of those you know. To say, I know some men, I know some people who are sold out for the kingdom of God. And use that as a defense. Paul seems to imply that the Corinthians have seen him both overflowing with zeal for the Lord. Okay, He said he was out of his mind. But they've also seen him soberly, mindedly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've seen both sides of Paul. And Paul says that both of these characteristics that he had are validations that Jesus is authentic. He's true. He's real. Paul, it says, he says if he was out of his mind or overflowing with zeal for someone he hasn't even seen yet, then that is pure love for the Lord. That is a sweet-smelling aroma unto the nose of the Lord. Because how could you? How could you be that in love with someone you've never seen, Paul? The fact that there are true examples of people who walk by faith in Jesus without ever, have seen him, without ever seen him before with their physical eyes is a true testament to the gospel because that's tangible faith. Do you guys remember Doubting Thomas? Remember Doubting Thomas? Thomas said, unless I see and unless I put my hands in his wounds, I will never believe. In John 20, 29, Jesus said to Doubting Thomas, he said, have you believed because you have seen me, he let Thomas. He let Thomas see him. He let Thomas put his hands in his wounds. And Thomas then believed. Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you because you've never seen Jesus. 
You've never put your hands in his wounds. But you believe. Paul was out of his mind in zeal and passion for this Lord. And he's saying to the Corinthians, use that. Use that as a testament and example of someone you know who is passionately in love with the Lord who is real. Because even though I haven't seen him with my physical eyes, I've seen him with my spiritual eyes. Paul was also a man of great sensibility. He was temperate. He was calm. And he was disciplined. He was not a madman at all. If you knew Paul, he was calculated. And when the Corinthians saw that version of Paul, they could rest assured that Paul's lifestyle was not just one of pure zeal only, like a bucking bronco, but it was one of sound doctrine and sound truth. And Paul had both characteristics. He was in love with Jesus Christ, but he was full of wisdom. Full of godly, temperate wisdom. And I hope you could say that about your pastors as well. We are in love, passionately in love with the Lord, but we also have sound doctrine and wisdom. And Paul says that these people, or people like him, have two characteristics. They're sold out for the Lord, and they have a temperate discipline and a sound mind. And those can be used as strong support for validation of the truth. That Jesus is both real and priceless to the soul. Paul was both out of his mind and in sound mind for Jesus. Isn't that cool? Paul ends his discourse today by saying one amazingly profound statement. He says, the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If you're looking for a passage of scripture to memorize, here it is. I highly encourage you to memorize verses 14 and 15. Really powerful passage. I've memorized it, and it's an amazing one. Paul says that more than fear of standing before the Lord at Judgment Day, and more than the validations of the characteristics of a godly lifestyle, he said that Paul and the church were controlled simply by the love of Christ. <clears throat> he says love controls us. If you want to know the secret to what made Paul Paul, then you need to only look to the love that Paul experienced on a daily basis from his Lord. Paul did not just believe in Jesus because it was proven to him. He was not just convinced there was a judgment day and that he needed to get ready for that judgment day. Paul was in love with Jesus. He was in love with him. Jesus was Paul's friend. He was his best friend. Jesus was Paul's bridegroom. He was his Lord. He was his Savior. He was his God. Paul, excuse me, Jesus was to Paul what every relationship in this world fails to deliver on. Jesus was Paul's sufficiency. He needed no other. I'm going to take you to a cross-reference right now. You can turn if you want to, but it's going to be on the screen. It's from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and Paul is talking about marriage. And I'm just going to read two verses of this kind of powerful passage, he said. In verse 6, he said this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I am myself. But each has his own gift from God, one of another one, one of one kind and one of another. Paul is speaking about marriage, and he's saying this, that marriage, of course, is not wrong. Marriage is even a gift from God, and it is a gift from God. Paul was not speaking about right or wrong here. 
Paul was saying that he was so enraptured by the love of Jesus that he needed no one else. Think about that. I don't believe Paul was just a five-time loser in the dating circles. And so he said, oh, since it's not working out, I'm going to love Jesus. No, I believe Paul found his one true love. Paul found his soulmate, and it was Jesus Christ. And now Paul says that Jesus' love for him and his love for Jesus is what controlled Paul to live the way that he did. It was a strong motivation in Paul's life. But in case we're tempted to become romantics here today and think that Paul was just infatuated with Jesus, like one of those silly teen romances that takes shape at summer camp and then fizzles out a week later, Paul reminds us that the love he had for Jesus had a rock-solid foundation in his life. It was based upon the word of God. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. The word concluded means arrived at judgment through reasoning. We have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul was acting like a simple mathematician here, a simple accountant. By finding the sum of all the numbers being added together. Let's go through them together, okay? Let's walk through the equation. Number one, Paul says that if Jesus died for all people, John 3.16, then all people were dead and were in need of saving. If Jesus died for all people and it says he died for everyone, then that means every single person is dead naturally and in need of saving. Jesus would not die for all unless all needed it. Number two, if Jesus died to save the dead people from remaining dead forever, then those dead people are now alive. They're not dead any longer. He rose again so they could too rise again one day. And that's exactly what baptism symbolizes, right? Dead and risen to new life in Jesus Christ. So that's number two. Number three, if those dead people are now alive based on the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, then their life should be summed up with one single thing. Living their lives for the Jesus who died for them. Paul is a simple mathematician. He's putting it together. It was simple math. More than that, it was the purest form of love that anyone could ever find. I love Jesus because he loved me. That's it. That's what Paul said. That's what Paul lived for. Now, inside your bulletin, I gave you a little bit of an insert, okay? Now, we don't have the children out here with us today, but most of you guys at least have children or grandchildren in your life, okay? What I have done is I've printed out this lesson that we're learning here today in simple, childlike terms. And I've done that for two reasons. I want us to see it that way. And second of all, I've done this for you, so if you want to take that insert home and teach it to your children or your grandchildren, or some children that you know, then you can. I've broken it down for you in kids' terms. Let's go through it very simply, this passage today, okay? I'm going to ask you these questions. What does it mean to control something? Someone give me an answer. What does it mean to control something? My kids answered this question. Does anybody know that? What does it mean? Okay, be in charge. To control something, my, my children said it this way. They said, it makes you do something. I thought that was a really good answer for control. To control something means something makes you do something. 
Okay? So that's what Paul is saying. The love of Christ controls us. Number two, control here isn't necessarily that. Okay? Control here is more of a strong motivation to do something hard. I said this in the little uh, printout. I don't have it up here, but I told my children, I walked through this lesson with my children, and I said, kids, if daddy and mommy gave you $100 for picking up every toy, every toy you picked up, we gave you $100, would you do it? And my, my son got immediately excited like it was going to happen. My head's like, yes, 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 let's do it. And I said, well, uh, it's just an illustration. I'm not actually going to pay you $100, but would you do it? And he said, of course I would. And I said, why? He goes, because I'd be really rich. I'd have a lot of money. <laughs> I have a lot of toys on the floor. So that I said, well, there you go. You're learning something here today. That is a strong motivation to pick up your toys, isn't it? I'm not forcing you to pick up your toys, but now you have a strong motivation to do something hard. Did Jesus do something amazing for us? I asked my children, and they said, of course. He died on the cross. He died on the cross for us. I said, is that amazing? He said, absolutely. That's absolutely amazing that Jesus would die on the cross for us. Okay, if that's true, then what should that fact control us to do for him? Is that a strong, powerful motivation? It absolutely is. Very strong. So strong, Paul gave his entire life to it. He was in prison. He was persecuted. And he was martyred for it. Because it was such a strong, motivating force in his life. And the quite, quite simply, the answer is, is Jesus worth living your life for him? Is he worth living your life for him? If Jesus has done something amazing for you, which is spare you from eternal death and separation from God and allow you to be in the kingdom of God as a family member of God with all the rights and privileges of one of those family members, what does he deserve from you? What is the motivation to live for Jesus? And quite simply, it's Jesus himself. And therefore, we have a choice to make. Will you continue to live for yourself? Or will you, like the passage says, live for him who died for you? If you want to take that home and teach it to your children, please do so. That's why I printed it out. But before we close today, I want to recap the gospel that we so speak, we so fondly speak of. Okay, let's recap the gospel very quickly. I want you to pay attention to this today, especially if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Number one, we were sinners in the eyes of God. Sinners in the eyes of God. We were separated from that God because of that sin. We were not with our God. He was separated from us. There was a huge chasm in between called sin. Okay? Number two is we were awaiting eternal condemnation because of that sin in a place of separation and torment. That was our destiny. And that made us entirely, utterly hopeless. We had only one hope, and it was a long shot. That someone sufficient and holy might come to our rescue. That was our one hope. But what holy person would die for sinners? Is there such a person? The only one who could save us was the Son of God himself. He would first have to feel compassion for sinners. He'd have to feel compassion for rebels of his father's will. He would then have to step off his throne in heaven and come to earth as one of his own creations, born into a woman and grow, excuse me, grow and raised by sinful parents. Would anyone do that for sinners? He would have to live a life of self-sacrifice and submission to God's will in an environment that hated him and hated truth. 
That's very, very hard to do so. If you've ever been a Christian for a long time, you know what that's like. To live for truth in an environment that hates Jesus and hates truth is hard. And Jesus did this more than anyone. He would have to be rejected, blasphemed, and mocked by the very people he came to save. All while showing them patience and love. That is near impossible. He would have to let his own Jewish religious leaders try and convict him for sins he did not commit. They would lay false charges to the king of kings, their creator. He would have to step on a wooden cross to die and pay for the sins of the people that he loved, sins that he did not commit. He would have to pay the ultimate price. He would have to bleed and die. And he could never step away from this plan for one moment or the entire thing would be ruined and he would accomplish nothing. And he did. He did. Do you see why Paul was in love with Jesus? Do you see why love controlled Paul to live for Jesus? Do you see why Paul was so zealous serving the kingdom of God? Because Jesus did this all for Paul. Paul went from the cursed of cursed to the blessed of blessed. And the only reason is, is because the Son of God died for him. And us. He died for us as well. And Paul is sitting there with a spiritual calculator. He's adding it all up and he's coming to one amazing, simple conclusion. That he was going to live the rest of his life for this Jesus who died for him. And every single Christian has to come to this conclusion. Because Jesus himself said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Every Christian has to come to the same conclusion. No longer me, but for him from now on. Did you ever have a light bulb go on in your head? You ever have that happen? Just something dawns on you in a moment. You just A light bulb goes on in your head in a moment. Well, when I was in Michigan doing missions work on the campus, I, I suddenly had it dawn upon me over a matter of a few days and weeks. I wanted to be a pastor. I don't know where it came from. I didn't study to be a pastor. I didn't train to be a pastor. I never wanted to be a pastor. I was doing missions work, and I was loving missions work. And then it dawned on me that I wanted to be a pastor. And I didn't really know where it came from. But the light bulb came on, and then it never turned off. And here I am. See, God the Father is turning the light bulb on for us today. Jesus died for you. The Son of God is your Savior. If you've believed in him and you've turned away from your sin, then you are alive. You are in the family of God. And the reason for it is because of Jesus. Just like when Lazarus came out of the tomb because Jesus raised him from the dead, we too have been given new life and we have come out of our sinful tombs forever. And the only question we need to answer today is what should we live for? What should control us? Every single day we are controlled by brain functions that help us decide what to live for. We take all the important things in our life and we blend them together in our mind and our heart and we come out with decisions to make based on what is most important to us. As a simple exercise today, I want you to take a close look at your life and you will see what you value the most by what you do the most faithfully. 
Whatever you do the most faithfully is what you value the most. Whatever decisions we regularly and faithfully make are the things that are the most important to us. And if Jesus is not at the top of that list, nay, if he does not consume that list, why not? How much has he done for you? How much? Paul said, the love of Christ controls us. We've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Who are we living for today, Wyoming Valley Church? Is Todd still living for Todd? Is Mel still living for Mel? Is Dan still living for Dan? Is TGD still living for TGD? Is Liz still living for Liz? Is Lisa still living for Lisa? Is Grace still living for Grace? And so on and so forth. Or have we taken a long look at Jesus today and has that love taken shape in our hearts in a way that maybe it hasn't before? Has the light bulb gone on today? Is the love of Christ the singular motor behind what you choose to live for? And I ask this question collectively because we do this as a church. We do this together. Our family, it's our collective goal to live for him together. At age 26, I told the Lord I was all in for him. I had never said it before. I told the Lord I was all in for him, and I reaffirm that decision today. You could say I renew my vows to the Lord in front of all of you today, that I want to live for him. Will you join me? We do not have to step away from this place completely mature. That is a process that is going to take the rest of our lives to accomplish. But we do need to leave committed, giving Jesus our all and helping each other to do so as well. You see, the love of Jesus controlled Paul and it controlled many others to follow suit and to live for Christ instead of themselves. And we are ambassadors in Wyoming Valley, Pennsylvania. This is a high calling we've been given. Will we abandon what we want for what the Lord wants? Will this community see something they may have never seen before? People consumed and in love with Jesus and wholeheartedly serving the kingdom of God. Before we close today, recall what Paul said only a few verses earlier than this. He said this, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Do you know that's what we're going to be doing in heaven, right? We're going to be pleasing Jesus. Here also, whether at home in heaven or away from heaven right now in this time, we make it our aim to please him. Very simply, very quickly, our application is this. Is it your aim to please him with your life? Whether at home in heaven or away from him in this harsh wilderness called the earth. And number two, will you be controlled by the love of Jesus from this moment on? To no longer live for yourself, but collectively as a church, live for the one who died for you. Remember, please remember, we do this together. We live and we fight together, and we die alone. Let the love of Jesus take hold of us today, like it took hold of Paul, and may the kingdom of God gain faithful, courageous soldiers, purely because Jesus loves us. Can we pray?
Father, I thank you for this lesson. I thank you for what it's done in my heart and my soul. And I pray that it's taken shape and the light bulb has gone on in many of the souls here today. Father, thank you for loving us through your son. Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price to purchase us back from sin and back from the devil so we could live with you and love you for the rest of eternity. Father, Jesus, help us today to see how amazing this gift is, how beautiful you are, how valuable you are to our soul, and to make the obvious conclusion to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.